Our favorite day of the week at yet another DC animated podcast is game night. Although we usually play the Batman version of Monopoly. Where literally everything is owned by Bruce Wayne. We also like jumping over to the Marvel Universe and playing Marvel Dice Throne. Marvel Dice Throne is a fast and fun board game for all ages. Each player selects one of eight heroes to face off in a head-to-head battle to see who earns the right to take the throne. Gameplay involves strategically rolling a dice to activate special abilities, playing unique hero cards to manipulate results, and upgrading your hero board to power up your stats. This is currently being crowdfunded on Kickstarter and will have Kickstarter exclusives. So go there now to reserve your copy. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year of the debut studio album from Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt, 1996. That reference I got. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one I got for our static episodes. Well, episodes, because today we're talking about three episodes in particular, the next one in our series. We're talking about episode five, They're Playing My Song which is written by Milestone Media co-founder Dwayne McDuffie. There's a lot of just like heavy, <laughs> yes. heavy rap influences in there. Next, we got The New Kid, which again was directed by another Milestone co-founder, Dennis Cowan. And finally, we're wrapping it all up with Child's Play. There will be no Chucky in this episode, as far as I know. Yeah, not, not yet, guys. The static Chucky crossover, you know, you never know. You never know. <laughs> I mean, Mark Hamill does make an appearance at some point in the static episode. <laughs> He's the bridge between the worlds. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did we just create the Hamilverse? Yes, it should. <laughs> it should be out there. Hamilverse confirmed. <laughs> so our main cast is back with Static, Richie, Sharon, and Richard Hawkins. Um, Edwin Alva also comes back. We got Goldar making the return here. But our special guests for these episodes are... Once in a different world, he had the most iconic glasses ever, as we have Kadeem Hardison voicing Adam Evans, a.k.a. the Rupert Bandman, in our first episode. Next, we have Libby Folfax from Jimmy Neutron, but her real name was Crystal Scales, and she is voicing Daisy in The New Kid. Also, fun fact, Andrew, do you remember the game Celebrity Deathmatch? I do. She voiced Little Romeo. <laughs> oh sure like what <laughs> i saw trivia for you guys that i i would never have made that connection <laughs> and it's gonna come full circle in this season of our show too <laughs> and then finally we got wrapping up in child's play we have um he once was the first live action ant-man as we have garrett morris voicing the preacher in the beginning of the episode and our last two which is Kind of really cool to find this out because they have such a connection to the Marvel and the DC universe. Patton Oswalt and Michael Rosenbaum are Specs and Trapper in the New Kid episode. That makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll find out why soon, but it makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start off with our first episode with they're playing my song, the inspiration of our 1996 reference of this week. <laughs> Yes, because today, in this first episode, they take on an ancient evil, which is record executives. And 
rubber band man contorts himself into a ball and sneaks into a record executive's office. And immediately you see how cool this guy's powers are. The range of what he can, rubber band man can do with his abilities. He's taking full advantage. And as soon as he unrolls himself and starts beating up this record executive mercilessly, the record executive is shook. And you find out somebody stole something from the rubber man man. And he's after the thief who stole. What did they steal? You're still going to find out in literally three seconds. But it is a great and effective opening to rubber man man, seeing his range, how quickly he can scare people, and that he wants something back from, from that was stolen from him. Yes. And the next person on the journey to find out um, get rubber, rubber band man back his cred. We head on over to Ice T. No, uh, Tupac. No, Ice Pack. <laughs> Ice Pack. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who is in his limo jamming out to his song? He's got some groupies and some, you know, some people in the car with him. And as that same moment happens of him just like jamming out to his stuff, his driver's like, Yo, there's somebody following us, and that's when they find out it's Rubber Band Man who's bouncing along the streets, cashing up to them in this limo. Where we now jump to Virgil and Richie, who are walking the streets as well. I guess like a couple blocks away because they head on over to an abandoned gas station. Yes, the gas station of solitude. Uh, because Richie said, "Hey, look, there's a couple rats, uh, but no one's gonna come back and." <laughs> And fix this. So it's like, why don't we stay here? Virgil, this is one of my favorite little interactions because Virgil's like, oh, we we need money for a real base. But he also is like, I need money because my costume keeps tearing and my shoes keep (laughs) burning through. So I'm like, (laughs) I like talking about how much it costs to be a superhero when you're just a regular dude. (laughs) Yo, word. And I was I was mostly worried because I was just like, if Virgil is wearing Jordans out here, aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do it for the aesthetic. Got to do it for the fans. <laughs> As they're at this abandoned gas station of solitude that has no door, they hear the car driving away as they see Rubber Band Man bouncing along. So Static immediately jumps into action. The Rubber Band Man is able to take the car and fling it into the air. But fortunately, Static was able to bring it back down as now the two of them have their first confrontation. And this is just the most like 90s dialogue I've ever heard. Because <laughs> Static is like, yo, chill, man, chill. And Rubber Band Man is like, yo, I ain't got no beef with you, Static. And I was just like, let me translate this real quick in my head. I know what these mean. I do know what these mean. Yeah, and I, I love this is a great setup because I know you just said the car was flung into the air, but we have to, to emphasize rubber band man flung this limo about 30 stories into the air. Mm-hmm. So this is who we're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> and static immediately tries to shock him, of course, but rubber band man, it's like, I'm a natural insulator. That's not going to work. So Virgil has to expand all of his powers to just subdue rubber band man while ice pack gets away. And it leaves him completely open. And Rubber Band Man could end it right there for Static right there. But he says, again, my my beef, <laughs> that, that early, <laughs> that 90s beef. It's like, my beef isn't with you, but you just stay out of my way. And he bounces away. 
<laughs> yeah, he uh, really embodied the Optimus Prime all about to roll out kind of <laughs> <laughs> statement there. So we cut to a scene now. Virgil's back at home. He's taking a shower. He's complaining about the fact that he just got whooped as Sharon comes through knocking on the doors, yells out his full name. And this is just like, it just, you just got to really appreciate how well they really capture basically the black experience of growing up. Because <laughs> whenever you hear somebody yell out your middle name with full, like full government name, that's either you are in trouble or someone's playing games. And obviously this is just like a fun joke between the two of them because Ashley's telling him for Virgil Ovid Hawkins to get his ashy butt out of that shower right now. It's just like, this is, this is the dynamic that I really love to see between Virgil and Sharon. So Virgil heads downstairs after finally getting ready and he's asking his father for an allowance because naturally he's burning holes in his shoes and he's tearing all his costumes. So he doesn't want to tell them that he's trying to say that it's like, Oh, he just basically wants to do his own thing. Virgil's dad is just like, well, you know what? You have a lot of free time and you need to be more disciplined, which the irony of it, because it's just like, he's a full on superhero. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And tells him that he hooked him up with uh, a friend of his who has a work study program which is basically a job at the DC Universe's McDonald's. Yeah, and he has to wear a uh, Burger Fool. That's the name Burger of Fool, place. yeah, Burger Fool. He has Fool. to work at Burger Fool wearing a Jester's hat. And I love, again, like how authentic this show feels because Richie and his friends immediately clown him. Not like, mm-hmm. they're not making, they're not bullying him or anything, but they're just like, we got to clown you for wearing this hat and like working at Burger <laughs> Fool. And... While they're there, they're playing Ice Pack's new song, which is a legit bop. Like, oh yeah, I would listen to this song right now. <laughs> and one guy gets up and is like, turn off that song, almost slaps the CD player out of their hands because the CD player is loud enough to be heard in a restaurant. Yo, that was right. my biggest question. I was just like, I've never owned a CD, CD player that has that much bass. <laughs> you can hear that down the block. It's like, no, no way you're getting that sound quality. But it's, of course, revealed that this the person that was so upset is River Band Man in disguise. And again, he uses his uh, powers to shapeshift his clothes and into his costume. So you found out that, you know, he stole Ice Pack, stole his track, he stole his Mm -hmm. beat and didn't give him any credit for it. So, of course, he just wants what's his and. He decides to go and get it from Ice Pack in (laughs) another high point of the episode. Yeah, he rubber band man heads on over to I I don't know, this is kind of like remind me of Sam Goody. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> just like all the throwbacks for y'all today it's just like yeah he heads on over to the sam goody where ice pack is signing some of the records and once again uses his shape-shifting capabilities to transform himself into somebody that probably might be a bit more appealing to ice pack to give give him the time of day and immediately upon transforming back into his regular self he takes ice pack and takes him up to the top top of the tower which is, this is already the tallest, like, record studio I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, this thing is the Empire State Building. <laughs> so Exactly. He leaves him up there as he's questioning him, like, I know you stole from me, 
But he's ice packs on him like, no, I didn't steal from you. Somebody gave me the beat, which he then tells him who it is. But we don't find out until after Virgil and Richie are hanging out in Burger Fool. Um, Virgil's like cleaning up. He's still on the clock. And he's like, you know what? At least we have some music to play because at one point in all the hustle and bustle from when Rubber Band Man first exited Burger Fool, he dropped a CD. And as they're playing that CD, and once again, the CD player that has the surround system of a Bose, uh, they hear the song that's playing and it's the same beat as Ice Pack song. But they're like, how come there's no words? And then, you know, they're wondering, like, maybe it's like, the dance version to the song, but they're like, nah, this just dropped today. So like, how could they already make that so fast? And that's when they start putting two and two together that Ice Pack stole the beat from Rubber Band Man. And that's what Rubber Band Man has been trying to find for this entire time. While Frida runs in and tells them that uh, Rubber Band Man took Ice Pack and trapped him on top of the tower. So as Virgil heads on out, he tries to make an excuse to ask it for a break, which his boss immediately denies. So he says, says, you know, let me let me throw out the trash. Let me spend the next like 30 minutes of our episode throwing out the trash now. Yeah, this is a terrible work study program, by the way. <laughs> Can't even take your break. So Virgil gets on his costume, saves Ice Pack from falling right in the nick of time. And he's like, wait a minute, Ice Pack, you're going to have to give me some information. Let me know where Rubber Band Man is going. And when Ice Pack does it, Virgil threatens to drop him out of the sky. Son. No! <laughs> That's that kind of torture that made Batman proud, yo. Like- <laughs> no wonder Batman is like, yo, Virgil, I see some promise in this kid. <laughs> so Static finds out the rec- there's a record executive that is behind this whole thing. and we cut to rubber band man confronting the executive and in one of my bet the best uh, again this is such good interactions and dialogue in this episode because the rubber band man is like i you know you stole my thing and the one goon goes yeah boss steals from a lot of people <laughs> and he goes like yeah I stole it fair and square like what's up but the, the executive recognizes his goons are not going to be able to do anything against rubber band man so he says, hey, rubber band man, you know what? Here's my safe. Take as much money as you want, and we're going to work out a contract. And rubber band man was like, all right. He starts like turning, shifting his body so he can carry more money. And the executive closes the vault doors on him and lets him know, in no uncertain terms, he's going to die in there because he's going to run mm-hmm. out of air very soon. As rubber band man is trying to break his way out to basically no avail, Static is making his way over to this place where adding to the canon of this now, because it does pop up a couple more times, Dakota Hills. It's like, you know, it's like basically a really nice suburb. It's kind of like Beverly Hills, but like a home residential area. It's like really nice. So he makes his way over. He breaks through the um, past all the, the goons and whatnot and is able to talk with the, the, like, the record exec, telling him that, yo, rubber band man's on his way. You might be in danger. If anything, let me hang around to help you. And the record exec is just like, nah, we good. We got this. Fortunately, though, Rubber Band Man has been banging on the walls and been screaming a bit. So Static's able to hear that. And he's just like, oh, looks like he already got here before I did. And that immediately sees the turn in the um, record exec, who now tries to attack Static. 
as sending his goons as Stag's able to fend them off as well as burn the door down so that Van Man could make his way through. This, however, leads our, to our conclusion of our episode as the first thing that Rubber Band Man does is immediately attacks the record exec, putting his hands around him, making this like balloon out of his hands. It's like, let, let's see how you feel when you don't have any air to breathe. I mean, fair. I mean, right. I, I can't be mad at him. Um, right. <laughs> I just want to quickly mention that during that fight, at one point, Static attacks a dude, and the dude's like, "My chain!" I, I, come on, like this—the dialogue <laughs> in this episode, even the background lines are so great. But Static is able to distract Rubber Band Man long enough to get the record executive. He also drops one of the greatest insults, where he just is like to the, to the record executive, "Is like they're gonna need Lake Michigan to baptize you." <laughs> Static, <laughs> you roasted the people you try to save, and. They have a competition in a in a, a playground, and Static ends up trapping Rubber Band Man onto a what are those spinning things? You know, I also was trying to figure <laughs> this out. I, I think it's a merry-go-round. Yeah, it's like, but it's like it, it's, it's a merry-go-round without the ro- the horses. And it's right. Smaller. We could have researched <laughs> this, but we didn't. Um, but he traps him on there with glue because you know I am rubber, you are glue. Come on, and. The record executive and rubber band man go to jail for the various crimes. Mm-hmm. And at the end, Richie turns to Static and goes like, why don't you take the money? And Virgil's simple. He's like, superheroes don't take money. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, and Richie's like, that's great. But also you got fired from your job. Because <laughs> this is the worst work study program ever. <laughs> oh, man. And he also tried to give, Virtual bit of a consolation prize. He said he was like, yo, I did head on over to the record studio and I was able to pick up Ice Pack's album for you, which Virgil immediately takes and throws in the trash. And like, if I was Richie, I would have been like, so there's a 30-day return policy on that? <laughs> can I can I get that back, though? After the credits, he went back and got the CD. <laughs> yeah. It's it the unofficial into, post-credits uh, center. <laughs> <laughs> or FYE, whatever. Circuit City, that's where you brought it back to. So that wraps up our first episode here as our going to our next episode called The New Kid. Virgil and Richie are now in Homec. They're working on the souffle, which unfortunately collapses like as soon as it makes its way outside. Yeah. Virgil's tries to get a little bit of static to stimulate the molecules and make the souffle rise. I guess that's how chemistry works. I didn't do too well in it, so I don't know. And I didn't do too well in the whole mech. I just knew my <laughs> eating part. So like that, that sounds yeah. right to me. If you had a taser, maybe it would have gone differently for you. <laughs> what is he now? Batman with Cyborg? Exactly. <laughs> but everything is interrupted because his teacher comes in and says his pr- the principal wants to see him immediately. And not only is the principal in the office, but his dad is in the office. So you're like, yo, what did he do? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as they're in there with meeting with Principal Aguilar, who I got to say this real quick. This dude was too jacked for this position. Yeah, (laughs) He was way too defined to be a principal of the school. It's like you're not working in Freeland. Like you you don't have to (laughs) fight Black Lightning villains, bro. It's Dakota. Like you can chill. 
So while in the office, uh, the principal shares that, you know, has Virgil ever heard of the Van Moore Institute, which Virgil shares as like, yeah, he's heard about it. It's a school for these like exceptionally gifted kids that you got to be like Stephen Hawkins to get into. And this is to me, it's felt a little bit of like a backhanded compliment because he was like, well, I guess you don't have to be because you got in. And <laughs> it's like, wow, Principal Aguilar, wow. So he's so, Virgil's so surprised. And I think my favorite moment of this, because it really, I had to pause it right here. Virgil's dad is sitting next to him and he immediately grabs him and it's just like, yo, I'm so proud of you and kisses him on the cheek. Mm. And the main reason why I was surprised, because like, when you think about it, this show is probably from like the, the shows, this episode aired in like the 2000s. Yeah, 2000. So if we had to gauge it, Virgil's dad's probably, I don't know, like 50 at the time, maybe 40 or 50. At least he probably grew up in an era where it wasn't common for men to show affection, let alone emotions towards another man. So to have it kind of be that Virgil's dad, Robert Hawkins, is here, you know, telling his son that he's proud of him, and even to the point where he kisses him on the cheek, I was like, that's a big step of expression of emotions within the Black community. I definitely agree. It, it, it is, Robert has, from the start, always been a good father figure, you know, mm-hmm. firm, but for the right reasons. And you can see he has a lot of love for, for Virgil. So this is just continuing in things with the, these small little gestures. You can just see how dynamic and how, how great of a daddy is. And they, they, they keep running this and it keeps expanding and growing, but yeah, this was a nice moment between them that really the, the importance of it can, can fly right by, but it is hugely significant because you still try go see a sh- Watch 10 black shows, come back to me and, and show me an example of this. And I bet you'll still have trouble because yep. that is just something that you don't see every day. Yeah. And and even in a more shocking move right after uh, the principal tells him that, like, yo, you know, don't worry. We got you. I know because ideally what's going to happen is that if Virgil takes part in this program, it's a six six week program that's going to be taking place at this other school where he tells him that not only will you be learning everything that you need to learn there, you'll also we'll also hook you up with some tutors here at Dakota University or Dakota High so that you could keep up with your work. And I was just like, damn, is this what it's like to have resources? I know. <laughs> Dakota must have got some extra money from like all the big bank fallout that they could afford right. all this. <laughs> so now we jump to Virgil's first day at the Van Moore Institute. He's lost, obviously. He's like walking around. We see all these like different students and whatnot. So he finds the one, like two students who are posted up against a wall somewhere. He's asking them, he's like, hey, uh, can you tell me where this lab 17 is? And obviously they're upperclassmen because their first immediate thing to do is like to be jerks to him. And they're like, you know, you can find it between 15 and seven and 18 or something like that. So they basically kind of bully him there on the spot, even to the point of directing him outside of the building and locking him out, making him late to his like first day of school. Yeah. And uh, he eventually makes his way to class, meets Daisy Mm -hmm. um, and meets uh, these twin geniuses. And he's like, oh, where's the teacher? And of course, it's the upperclassmen 
because <sighs> at this institute, the upperclassmen teach the classes. So now he immediately has to contend with these, these, this duo that he already got spurned by. And, and, and it's just a, such a weird, it's such a weird school. Like, it really is. Like, it's so well-funded, but at the same time, it's like, no one is helpful. <laughs> like, I was a TA in college. Let me tell you, I was not allowed to teach lessons. I was allowed to maybe run the, the PowerPoint, but I, I can guarantee you I was not teaching any classes. And I, I was in college. So this school's got some weird things going on. Um, but Static doesn't have much time to worry about the school because there's a transformer attacking the town more like a decepticon am i right yeah <laughs> so as static is hanging out at the abandoned gas station the solitude of richie he's telling him about his day and everything that he's learned and you know there's a little quick moment there in which richie's like yo you've been kind of talking about daisy for a minute now like <laughs> frida frida then lost your attention or something but before he can answer that's when our decepticon starts barreling through shooting up the streets of dakota and Static immediately jumps into action as he tries to take out the machine, but he notices it, that it doesn't really get affected by most of his static electricity. And at one point, it even um, sends out these like tentacles and drains him of his powers. Yeah, he really gets back into a corner and has to, he's essentially forced to run into an alley kind of like in a mirror to the first episode where he's just trying to escape from bullies without powers. And he finds a fuse box, luckily, and he gets a super Saiyan charge again, the classic super (laughs) Saiyan charge and is able to turn things right around at the last minute, get one over on the, the robot in in a clever scene. And you find out this attack was not random. No, it was not, because we have who I'm now. I know their names are Specs and Trapper, but I'm going to call them Smart and Smarter, (laughs) because these two, it's clear now that the robot is actually a suit of armor being manipulated by one of them, while the other one is back at the lab monitoring the entire situation. The next day, Virgil's back at at the Institute. He's being tested by everybody. There's a bit, really great bonding moment that he has with, like, Daisy and the other two, um, the twins that are there. But while they're enjoying their day, the two upperclassmen walk through and they're like, hey, we want you to build an electronic eye that's capable of tracking electromagnetic energy signatures wherever it might be dialed into. And I love this moment here because, like, they kept clowning them and being like, is that too hard for you underclassmen to do? Like, you grunts really can't even comprehend anything like this. And if every day that is late, it's a, it's a letter off your grade. And Virgil's just like, yeah, you know what? It, this does sound like a pretty hard task, but can I just ask one question before you go? Do you want the eye to be brown, black, or baby blue? And I was just like, that that finesse of that burn was so good. Virgil's extra superpower. He just keeps coming with those burns. He doesn't need the electricity. He just has those burns <laughs> going all day. And as he's building that program out, we find out that these uh, Trapper, Smarter and Smarter, ah, are being funded <laughs> by Alva. All comes back down to Alva Industries. They release the gas. 
And now Alva wants to study static a little bit closer in comfortable ways. So he's basically funding their project to go and capture static alive. He specifically mm-hmm. wants him alive. Yeah. There's a there's a dark moment there. It's just like, it'll be easier if we just kill them. And it's just like, whoa, you can't just see you throwing around the unalive word like that. <laughs> 2000, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> So back in the lab, the students have finally built the eye, mainly because Virgil's able to program it really well based off a video game that he and Richie had developed when they were younger. Again, just like the smarts on these two. So Virgil and Daisy are now leaving, but as they're heading out and there's no, they're kind of like bothering, kind of like, it's like not really even understanding that they're flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. Virgil sees a limo passed by and the window's down. So he peeks in and he sees that Edwin Alva is leaving the school and he's so shocked. And that's when Daisy reveals to him that Edwin Alva funds this whole school. It's his way of finding like the next genius and whatnot, which I got to say is like a really great callback to the history of Edwin Alva and Milestone Media, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later and also the fuller Milestone episode. So Virgil's like, you know what? I forgot something in the lab. Um, he wants to head back and check it out. But honestly, it's just really his way of finding it. If he can get some more information about maybe like the Big Bang, really find out what Edward Alva's real influence is with the labs. And as Daisy is just like, you know, I could go with you. He's like saying don't, but she still ends up tagging along anyway. After some classic Virgil shenanigans where he's like, look over here while I break into the lab with my powers. <laughs> The master of misdirection. <laughs> <laughs> they get down into the lab. They find a secret passageway and they expose smart and smarter. They see that the program is going to be used to track static. And funnily enough, he's right there underneath their noses. And eventually smart and smarter turn around. They realize they're being watched. And it does I I love oh my god this I laughed so hard at this tiny moment but while Daisy is running away Virgil throws an AV cart at <laughs> Smart and he, Smart like goes tumbling down like three stories of stairs <laughs> like Virgil that could kill people you gotta be careful right. about that so Static is able to to get out. Daisy's also able to get out. But unfortunately, Smart and Smarter are able to turn on the Alva machine, which honestly seems like a dumb name to me. Like, I could have gone anything else. Like, the sole purpose is to catch Static. And I feel like you could have called it, I don't know, like, what catches catches lightning? (laughs) Uh, The lightning rod. We'll we'll workshop it. We can get something better than that. (laughs) So... As the machine breaks its way out, basically destroying the entire school, it starts targeting Daisy and Static is able to swoop in and pull Daisy out of the way, flying her away. And he's pulling up the appearances like he just got there. He doesn't know anything that's going on. He's joking around with her. And as Static drops off Daisy, she sees, which is really well-timed, she happens to see um, the two twins that were in the class with them and they're like she's like hey we need to head back to school because we need to find a way to shut down the machine while static is spending this entire time now trying to avoid it and he's realizing little by little that he built basically the technology that's being used in this machine and he's trying to figure out the best way to get rid of it which he does by heading over 
to Dakota Hills once again to find the home of Edwin Alva. Circuit Breaker. That should be the name of the robot. Circuit Breaker. Yes. Uh, there. See. See how easy that was. Um, so yes, he decides to go towards Alva because he figures, you know. Alva probably doesn't want this robot in his house. So he just charges right in, destroys this man's house. Because <laughs> static does, there is no limit to the collateral damage static will cause <laughs> as a superhero. And now they're like, do we attack Alva? Because he's our boss. <laughs> like we can't attack him. And they're and while a smart and smarter are trying to figure out what to do, Daisy comes in with a massive save. And pulls a crucial wire that would connect to the circuit breaker. So the circuit breaker goes tumbling into a pool. Static throws Alva in the pool after him, which <laughs> could electrocute you. Virgil. Right. <laughs> like, that was a deadly move, bro. <laughs> As the robot comes offline, we cut back to weeks later where they're back at Dakota High. And Daisy is transferred because her parents... <laughs> Believe she'd be safer in a public school. <laughs> uh, the jokes in this episode. And but it does establish that now Daisy will be a regular character and Virgil is safely away from any circuit breakers. And that ends the episode, the new kid, episode six. As we jump into our last episode of today, Child's Play. We have confirmed there has been no Chucky in this, but we do know that the end is near because we open up to the Freeman Community Center where a pastor is basically preaching about the end of days. And this right here is this week's DC reference. So any fans of the Watchmen series, comic book or movie, will know that there is a random person who walks around between the panels throughout the entire story who has a sign saying the end is nigh. And honestly, this sign gets used so often in DC stuff. This time it's called The End is Near. But that is the DC reference of the day because we see here in DC's Watchmen comic by Alan Moore that this sign is once again being used to talk about the fact now that the presence of bang babies or just general life stuff means that the end is near. Yeah, I mean, it is fair. That would rock you a little bit, your whole belief system, if a bunch of kids with superpowers showed up. So... (laughs) I get how it might send them over the edge. But another sign that the things are going downhill is that the fountains are running red. And as they go to the fountains, they find it's cherry soda. <laughs> and the priest just turns to the sky and goes, man, what you got against me? <laughs> it's the commentary and the dialogue in this, in the, in this show, this series is so great. Uh, because... You know, this is also also expanding on the mythos of Static as we find out now that his father actually runs and operates the community center because Static is there um, asking his dad for some money once again. We cut to school now where Virgil, Richie, and Daisy are walking down the, the hallways and they're talking about the incident about the fountain turning into this like cherry soda thing. Daisy tells him a story about how at uh, projects, Fenton Projects, that um, they had a very similar case where it just automatically started snowing. And at first, Richie and Virgil kind of write it off, but then she drops that, like, it started snowing ice cream, which is like, where are all these, like, childlike things just popping up and happening in Dakota? So 
unfortunately, they're not able to really find out really what happened after that as they see an uh, old classmate of theirs, Aaron Price, who Richie clearly has some problems with, but Virgil's just like, you know what, I'm going to extend the olive branch because even though he has this like past history of being sent to reform school, clearly, I guess, because he's done something that needed to be reformed, he wanted to at least, you know, welcome him back to school. Unfortunately, Aaron basically produced a shoulder colder than the ice cream that was being dropped in Fenton Projects. Oh, yeah, that he is just not having any of Virgil and immediately slams the locker in his face. And we're left wondering, like, <laughs> Virgil, why do you even try? Like, I guess right. he's kind, but what's going on? And this interaction comes up later. But for now, we go to a gym where uh, the community center gym where we see this kid just wanting to play basketball with everybody else. But they're just not having him. They were like, your hops are too, too bad. You can't shoot. <laughs> you, you shoot free throws worse than Shaq. Like, it, we're just not going to have you on the team. And they're like, oh, you know, the, the dunk bots, three, the dread bot would be mm-hmm. like a, a, a good player. And all of a sudden, the dread bot bursts through the gym. And I had to say, I had to write this note exactly, but that gym is screwed. Like, there is oh, no yeah. way. It was when I saw that gym get ravaged by this red bot. I'm like, this community center is going to be offline for months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one quick thing I want to drop in there real quick before we move on. Uh, Andrew, did you pick up on the adult joke that got dropped in that episode? <laughs> oh, I mean, there were a couple. Uh, which one are you thinking? <laughs> so the main conversation that we see amongst the kids is like, um one kid makes a shot and he's just like i you know i should play just like wilt chamberlain and the kids are just like who who is that so the kid explains that like you know his basketball player his dad grandpa told him about him and then proceeds to say that his grandma knew about him too it just ends it right there Uh, so yeah um this is outside dc knowledge if you ever heard the rumor about wilt chamberlain and his um his extracurricular activities of engaging in relations. He currently has a count of 20,000, according to the rumor. <laughs> I mean, good on somebody for keeping track of all that. Like that, that seems like it would need like multiple spreadsheets and a, a phone book, especially in those days. Right. And uh, unfortunately, it seems that this kid's grandma might have <laughs> might have added to the count from the joke that they tried to put forward in this television series. Again, some of the throwaway lines in Static are better than written jokes for full-length movies. It's amazing. <laughs> so going back now, Dreadbot 3000 has entered the gymnasium. It has destroyed everything. Robert Hawkins bursts through to find out what all the commotion is about. Shows off that clearly that heroics is genetic in the Hawkins family as he's able to save a kid. But then immediately Virgil and Richie are making their way over and they see all the commotion, recognizing that Dreadbot is a a video game character. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. Static does his power up. And as he's trying to fight the Dreadbot, he realizes that the Dreadbot is immune to any static electricity that he produces. It sends his way. Yeah, so he is uh, he's pretty screwed in this. I'm not unlike the gym. He's pretty screwed. But fortunately, before things get too hairy, things start to calm down. 
and we re- and we realized the boy from earlier, Duane, had something to do with this. He brought the dreadbot into life, and his older brother, Aaron, from earlier, realizes if my brother can do that, what else could I get him to do? So you get this really interesting dynamic where um, Aaron starts manipulating his brother Dwayne to, mm-hmm. to let him to try to advance his goals. And it's, it's interesting because you're not seeing a direct villain. You're just seeing someone being taken advantage of to, because Dwayne just so desperately wants a connection with his brother, stepbrother as Aaron will keep emphasizing, <laughs> but he just it, the only way he can do that is by following what his older brother wants to do and in this case he wants him to steal a bunch of stuff yes and we immediately see that our heroes Virgil and Richie also find out about this not necessarily that of what Dwayne's abilities are nor that Aaron is manipulating him but while trying to figure out um, you know who attacked the center they look into the records that are available there of all the people who come in and notice that Dwayne is one kid who's there who they did see that just hasn't been accounted for. So they make their way over to uh, Fenton Projects because they find out that that's where he lived. And in a conversation with his mom, they find out that Dwayne was actually near the incident of the, the Big Bang. And she's under the impression that Dwayne wasn't affected at all. She believes that during the time that he went out looking for their lost dog, he was able to immediately avoid the entire incident. Virgil and Richie head back out because now that they have some information, their next quest is to figure out how can they talk to Dwayne and figure out if he's actually the one creating all these things. But at that moment, that's when Dwayne and Aaron have teamed up to try to steal money from a bank because Aaron told Dwayne that the bank harmed him at one point and he's been they've been doing things to harm people that he even loves including his mother and mr hawkins yes so again kids easily manipulated and he sends this honestly terrifying cartoon sumo character (laughs) into the bank and i have no confirmation for this but i would like to think that he was voiced the the sumo's grunts were voiced by phil lamar and before (laughs) I definitely heard it. Th- that's my headcanon. I, I haven't checked it, but I just feel it's right. And this sumo is tearing up the bank, just destroying the bank. Of course, Static comes on the scene and tries to do what he can, but he nearly gets crushed to, to pieces Ooh. by this, this sumo um, creation. And it's only after this incident, after this near brush of death with this imaginary creature, that Dwayne starts realizing, like, hey, wait a minute. Our actual people got hurt. You wanted the, to, to steal this money. And starting to realize that his brother's love comes with a severe cost. Yeah, so Aaron's able to manipulate him once again as they start running away. Static and Richie are able to see this moment. And then that's when they finally put two and two together that Aaron's been the one that's been manipulating Dwayne this entire time. And Virgil and Richie are just trying to figure out, like, what do they do? Because this is such a a delicate case. This isn't a typical villain where we can easily just punch him and shock him. And that's how we end our episode. 
this is a case of someone manipulating someone and they need to use their words this time in order to break through and tell, show this kid the truth. So Virgil heads on over to the community center where Dwayne is playing basketball by himself. And the two of them are trying to talk. And as Virgil kind of like brings, brings up that like, yo, like, how is your relationship with Aaron? Because I know he went through a lot and whatnot, but it does seem like he's been saying and doing things that aren't exactly on the up and up. And immediately Dwayne kind of reveals his abilities as his eyes glow purple. He doesn't create anything, but it gives Virgil enough time to just walk away. And that's when Virgil and Richie are just like, okay, we now know that he's definitely being manipulated, but we need to figure out a way to show Dwayne that Aaron isn't really looking out for his best efforts, which he decided to do so back at school as Virgil once again tries to talk with Aaron and invites him to a fake party that he's throwing in an effort to get Aaron to reveal that he doesn't really think that much of Dwayne. Yep, and it absolutely works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is absolutely exposed, and it, it just speaks to the theme. Throughout this whole episode, we see how Robert really has put himself out out there to make sure these kids are being taken care of. And Virgil's actions just reflect that he's learning from his father. And he goes the extra mile to to try to save this kid. And fortunately, they're they're able to get through, capture the brother, (laughs) send him right back to reform school because he clearly ain't (laughs) learned no damn thing. Facts. And this give Dwayne another chance to be a normal kid and not uh, use his God-breaking powers <laughs> for evil. Because <laughs> those, if he properly harnessed those, oh my God, those oh. powers are insane. Word. So those are our three episodes. Lightning round again. Favorite episode and least favorite episode. This, I, whoa, this was a hard one to pick a favorite because mm-hmm. they're, all, they're all like really, really fun episodes in different ways. But I, I think I think the one that just had me laughing the most and was just so entertaining, I, I think the Rubber Band Man episode, <laughs> I think you have a, a sympathetic villain in Rubber Band Man who, you know, he's just been, just wants to get his money. <laughs> That's all he wants. Yeah, just pay the brother. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's a fun mystery that comes together for Virgil and just the fight scenes, just a man being pulled by the chain. I think that's what it is. A man got pulled by his chain and I just can't forget it. I can't let it go. <laughs> What's the best of the bunch for you? Uh, best of the bunch for me. I would say that they're playing my song was a close one, but I have to give it to child's play. I think it really kind of showed who static is once again, kind of just like he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to talk things through. But more importantly, he's not just using his powers and his taser punch as we, you know, from like the first episode. He's like really trying to show that heroism can be done just by using your words sometimes. And the fact that it showed us that our villain wasn't once again a giant monster, even though he was able to create them. It was kind of cool to see that, like, hey, all right, we have this kid here who's in trouble, and it really just shows that Static is here for helping out the at-risk youth, which is really just, like, a really cool concept to introduce in a, like, 22-minute episode to just really see that all play out. Yeah. Uh, So I guess we're both mutually agreed that 
just because of where it's positioned <laughs> in this one. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, the new kid falls up short. And again, this is not really a fault of the episode. It's not saying that this is a lackluster or, or a boring episode by any means. There are some logical leaps in this episode that you just have to go with. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> how did they get the funding for the school? Uh, how old are these upperclassmen? Did they get arrested in the end? Mm. Did they just keep on teaching Monday morning after all this? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> the episode doesn't answer any of those questions. So. Yeah, I felt the same way. There was like, I'm realizing now that maybe the reason why he did it, the the um, the circuit breaker didn't really shock the waters because I do remember there was a scene in which they explained that the casing of it was made out of like a ceramic of some kind. But at the same time, um what this episode was kind of really did take me out a little bit of just like all right i get it this is definitely one of those like 90s kind of episodes of just like taking the kid and putting him into the the new gifted school kind of thing and it was just like they needed to have some kind of conflict i do appreciate that we got a chance to be introduced to daisy because she does pop up in the comics but at the same time it was just like uh, this was a bit of a slower episode compared to the others which had some a little bit more depth than has you kind of like thinking differently about, you know, the, the world that static has to face. But yeah. Uh, one of the major themes I kind of saw in this episode, which is actually going to influence my, my comic book section, uh, are just kind of like, now we're diving into just like, who are the villains of the stack is going to have to face? Like, Last week, we got introduced to Hot Streak and Ebon, who are like two of Static's greatest villains. But here we got kind of more of the, you know, the big, the big bad of the week kind of person. Like we got introduced to Raban Man, who honestly just seemed to be more of a guy who was just trying to catch a break after getting some bad luck when he got his, his record, his music, and basically his money stolen from him. So even though he was doing evil things to get his recognition back, his motivations behind it all is understandable. Then we have like Edwin Alva and Specs and Trapper, Smart and Smarter. Who these guys are villains. Like from the very beginning, they were just evil. They just they had malicious intent. They had malicious actions, and obviously, this is why they had to end up going to jail. Possibly, we don't know because once <laughs> again, they're just left behind. A static just flies away. And then finally, Dwayne McCall, who we got pictured to be the bad guy because once again he's the the one with the superpowers but like rubber band man he's just kind of like once again the kid that just got a bad rap and he you know his brother aaron truly is the real true villain because we just spent a whole episode finding and seeing how he's manipulating his brother for his own his own his own reasons and i think like these episodes of Static really help to show that, like, Static isn't going to be your typical hero facing off against someone who's just focused in on world domination. It's going to be people who are, you know, like, definitely are evil for and do want to do that world domination thing, but also some people who just, like, weren't lucky or people who were just misguided because they're being fed the wrong information. And those are problems that doesn't need for you to resolve them by using your fist or a kick or superpowers sometimes it's just words yeah and it's it's a good it's a good thing to instill so early on because there's a hundred shows of superhero shows where they got to punch their way out daredevil's kind of guy he's not talking through anything (laughs) 
<laughs> or Punisher. But it is refreshing to see, especially in a uh, when you have a radical new character that they have a radical new approach. Why don't I just talk it out <laughs> and see what we can do? All right. Now, those were our episodes. Now it's time for that comic book knowledge as today's set of comics are influenced by Beast Boy and Teen Titans Go as the theme of it all dials down back again into villains. So out here, we're catching villains. <laughs> as I mentioned, Static has a lot more villains in his role gallery that we haven't seen quite yet, but we will be seeing soon. But I'm going to really focus in on the two that we did see in this episode and a main one from the comics. The first one we got introduced to was Rubber Band Man. Uh, he was first introduced to the, uh, into the Static comics in Static number 33 in March of 1996 in the comic Be My Love. Uh, in that one, he really just had more of a cameo appearance towards the end of the comic after Static had already defeated the big bad of that one. But by comic number 34, that's when he and Static actually fought. So the character Rubber Band Man at the time was actually named Cameron Stringer. Real quick, I want you, Andrew, to remember that name. I want the people out there that listen to remember that name because it's actually going to circle back to us at some point. All right, all right. Write it down in my notes. <laughs> and Cameron Stringer was a small-time crook that got turned into a bang baby. And after the whole incident, there was a talk show that was created where Big Bang victims were able to come on to the show and talk about the emotional distress that they had following the events of the Big Bang. So it was kind of like, I don't know, like the Montel, the Dakotaverse, kind of. The Ricky Lake, if you will. The Ricky Lake. <laughs> the references in the old schools just keeps on coming. So Stringer on that show called out Static, and that's how number 33 ended with them once again fighting in issue number 34. Uh, he didn't really pop back up much later on in the comics in, for Static, like maybe only about two more issues. In fact, they completely revamped his character for the TV show. So that was with the inclusion of a background change. They also added this purple suit that he was wearing because before he mostly just had a leather jacket and this was like really slick back hair. And then they also changed his name to Adam Evans in honor of Camera Stringer's actual creators, Adam Blaustein and Yves Vizani, who took over the static series of issue number 30. And if you're trying to find some more Rubber Band Man, unfortunately, you're not going to be really able to find much more. He doesn't really pop up in comics after the initial Static run. He does get mentioned a couple times in when Static was introduced to the DC Universe and got his own New 52 run. But once again, he's only just like mentioned in those series. It's just like, hey, he's off to the side doing his own thing and or, you know, villain villainry or something like that. He's, on, he's study, studying abroad in Gotham. <laughs> Our next villain is Edwin Alva, or more formally known as Edwin Alva Sr., and he's the CEO of Alva Technologies, which is different than our Alva Industries in the TV series. So despite being one of the main antagonists in the Static Shock TV series, uh, he's actually not a static villain at all. The two of them don't cross paths. What? <laughs> yeah, this was such a, a mind trip for me because I just always associate the two of them together. But Edwin Alpha got first introduced in Milestone's um, comic book hero, Hardware, got introduced in Hardware number one back in April of 1993. And for the majority of that series, he is the 
adversary of hardware, this other superhero who uh, we'll talk about a bit more in our milestone episode. So just like in the show, however, Alva was this like really great business guy who, you know, was very popular in the public eye, but behind closed doors, he was involved in a lot of illegal dealings to the point where, you know, he probably was basically running the criminal underworld of Dakota. Someone's got to do it. So Hardware, this superhero that I mentioned, uh, he took on the task of taking down Edwin Alva, which which is why I think that's why they kind of introduced Edwin Alva here, because their echo, their battles kind of like echoed one another the way that Edwin Alva and Hardware fought. It's much like how Static and Alva fight in the TV series. Also, Edwin Alva isn't even responsible for the Big Bang in the um, in the comics. Oh, like, just a random dude. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, just some two random people. Uh, But basically, I think the only reason why they wanted to make Edwin Alva the TV villain was because, you know, going back to the fact like Static was created to be this like Spider-Man archetype, we needed a Norman Osborn. And if Edwin Alva isn't Norman Osborn in disguise, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, the only thing he's missing is the glider and the green suit. You know, like, again, Edwin Alva wasn't responsible for the Big Bang, didn't have any connection to the gas. Um, There was these two other characters, Dr. Kilgore and Dr. Nemo in the Static Comics, who probably they tried to connect Edwin Alva to be more like him because Dr. Kilgore wanted to test Static's blood. And Dr. Nemo was the actual creator of the Big Bang gas, which um, gets this other really weird name. I think it's called the Quantum Juice (laughs) Oh, yeah, the Q-Vapor or something like that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Q-Vapor. So it wasn't until, however, right now with Milestone returning into the DC universe, uh, Milestone Returns number zero that we mentioned last week's recommended reading, that is when um, they finally put two and together that Edwin Alva was responsible for the Big Bang and for the creation of the gas. So that's to create more of a connection to the show because once again, this is a show that so many people grew up on and the way that we're just shocked now, even finding out that Edwin Alva wasn't involved in the Big Bang in the original comics, I guess maybe they wanted to make sure that to solidify that connection. And plus it makes more sense a little bit now. So yeah. now that we know that Edwin Alva isn't Static's biggest villain, uh, Andrew, who do you think? Who would, who would you give that title to? Uh, it's probably going to be... Uh probably going to be that uh the amoeba from last week's episode i think uh the one percent of germs <laughs> that escaped is probably his greatest foe no uh no it's not it's like this other villain named holocaust oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a another bang baby by the name of holocaust who got his powers the same way um, he's a part of the Blood Syndicate. This is another milestone creation in the comic books where there were two gangs that we saw that got, were affected in the Big Bang incident, the Paris Island Bloods and the Force Syndicate. So the remaining people, the ones that actually got superpowers and didn't die during the Big Bang from both of these gangs, decided to come together to form this new gang called the Blood Syndicate in order to protect their block. And Holocaust was one of the members who eventually tried to fight for to become the leader of the Blood Syndicate. 
But we quickly see in their first issue that premiered in April of 1993 that he was quickly taken out and kicked out of the club. He decides that he wants to go out there and try to create his new his own version of the gang so that he can finally take back control. And just kind of like in our meta breed episode or sorry, our breed episode um, from last week, he does a similar thing to Static where he asked Static to he like teams up with him, fights along with him, just like, hey, you know, we work well together. You should really join my crew because I'm trying to put together a gang of metahumans. Because, you know, obviously you're not out here really having much luck on your own. You know, you could probably use some money, which we see a lot echoing out a lot in this episode. So Static really actually decided to join forces with him for one battle. But after seeing how dangerous it got, he backed away and was just like, no, I need to not join this gang for the sake of money. This is this is something that I need to step away from. Obviously, this leads into a big battle between the two where we actually see them fight in static number four, which is appropriately named playing with fire. But there's a lot of like same kind of like mindset and manipulation that the Holocaust did with static that we see a lot with, with Ebon and how he interacts with the, the rest of the bang babies in, in the static shock series. And, you know, I can probably understand why they didn't want to go with Holocaust. A couple you know, reasons, at least yeah. two. At least two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of those two reasons is he had a very similar power set to Hot Streak. So it probably would have been confusing for, for people to be like, well, Static's only villains are basically people with fire. So it's just like, why was what's the case for that? However, he does get his animated appearance finally. We actually have seen him if you've been catching up with or keeping up with um Young Justice. He's in two episodes of season three of Young Justice Outsiders. Yeah, so if you uh, if you haven't had your fill, uh, there you, there you go. You can you can find him there, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll also find Static there because he is he does pop up. He has a revamp like story and origin story and all that. But uh, you know, if you want to find some, but honestly, this route that they went with this comic with like just reading about Holocaust and finding out more about the Blood Syndicate was kind of cool. Who um, not only will they be receiving their own new comic in the milestone returns in the new universe that they're creating. I think they're also planning on including them in the um, animated film that was announced in DC fandom. If not, then we're definitely going to see the rest of these heroes, especially like hardware who has more of this connection to Edwin Alpha. So we'll definitely see some stuff there. And yeah, that's it. That's our comic book history. Those are our villains. We got a little bit of a history there, how they're going to cross paths with Static, how um, some of their characterization kind of influenced the, the television series, as well as Static's own journey and becoming a hero in his original run of the 45 comics that he had. But, you know, I know that we kind of cut this one like one episode short, but that's because next week's episode honestly is too powerful to have lumped together with just like another episode, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's it'll be a good time to take some of the the spotlight and put it fully on eight. We we really want to break down uh, episode eight as its own thing. It's not just like a serialized thing that was thrown in there. We want to give it time, and we got time. We got space. This is what we can do. Whatever we want. We're static. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like static destroying Dakota, we can change things up when we need to. <laughs> Well, until then, y'all take care and don't forget that 
if you try to steal music from anybody, at least give them some credit, I guess. <laughs> yes, the feet next to those little next to the title descriptions of your songs, that's there for a reason. All right, sample, don't steal. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. We shared Static number 4, number 33, and number 34 in our episode. However, if you really want to see more about the man behind the crime in our Static Shock Dakota, then check out The Hardware Series 1993 and Hardware Season 1. Despite focusing on the titular hero, these stories give some great insight on who Edwin Alva is, his history, and his journey of corruption. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.